Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, July the 10th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it is Twitter Tuesday. We'll get to all your questions posed in the mailbag thread, plus getting to know your host, yours truly, and just how good can Kenyon Drake be? We'll get to all of that. But first, I kindly invite each and every one of you guys that have not done so already to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review if you have not done so already. Give me a follow on Twitter at Winkle NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. There is a ton of Kenyon Drake breakdowns up on my Twitter timeline right now as I record this podcast. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com where I'm going to go ahead and comprise all of that information on Kenyon Drake in a column up live on LockedOnDolphins.com right now. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and kick this podcast off right now. That's another Miami Dolphins. First things first, I hope you guys enjoyed the Brett Coleman podcast from yesterday. If you haven't checked that out already, stop this podcast, go back, listen to Monday, July the 9th podcast, and then come back to this one because Brett is living proof that good national coverage of the NFL, it does exist. It just requires, get this, work. And he puts in the work. The episode is a must for all football dorks. Fantastic conversation and some great analysis and breakdowns there. But speaking of football dorks, I got my ass back into the lab for the first time in a while. And I put Kenyon Drake under the microscope. And ooh-wee do I need a cigarette after watching that guy run the football, catch the football, and help out in pass protection. And there are five elements to his game I wanted to focus on because I think if you can check the boxes in all five of these areas as a running back, you're going to be an effective pro at this level. And I just see Drake showing examples in each of those last five games on all five of those criteria. And those criteria for me are speed and elusiveness. How well can you run it against defensive backs in the open field and make the big play once you have done what the play is designed to do, which is to get you into the second level and make guys miss there. So speed and elusiveness, power and grit. How willing are you to duck your head down and bury yourself for a yard or two and get those short yardage first downs that can move the sticks and keep the offense on the field? Part number three is the decision-making, a long-forgotten-about aspect of playing running back. Everyone assumes that running backs and receivers and everybody besides the quarterback just plays off of athletic ability and and finding their way into the scheme, but they're... Everything happens so fast in the league that you have to make quick decisions, and that's just as true for running backs as it is for quarterbacks. The consequences aren't as bad, throwing interceptions, incomplete passes, that kind of thing, but the, the knowledge to know on a zone play, whether you have to bang, bounce, or buck, and essentially that just means do you go outside, keep it in the middle, or cut it back against the formation, and he continuously makes the correct decision on those zone plays. The fourth aspect is the pass catching, the ability to catch the ball both out of the backfield as well as flex out wide as a receiver and make plays in the passing game that way. And then also pass protection, which I think is the area of his game where he came the furthest along throughout the course of the year. We heard that he was kind of in the doghouse early on in the season and his rep count certainly 
suggested that he was, in fact, in the doghouse for Adam Gaze. But what you see in terms of his improvement in pass protection throughout the course of the season, once he became the starter, and his willingness to go find work, that was one of the things that I really appreciated from his game in pass protection. He doesn't sit back and wait for the block to come to them. He goes out and attacks it and puts himself in a better position to actually get the block made and get the quarterback protected and get the play or the pass out of the quarterback's hand than just sitting back and waiting for things to come to him. And he seems to understand the protection calls in terms of finding out who is on a single block, who is not in a double team and needs the help. And he does a great way, a great job of finding that way as well. So he checks off that area. The pass catching, we saw it in the Patriots game, going deep up top in a plus split against Elandon Roberts. And they give him these matchups all the time on linebackers where he has to make a guy or basically beat coverage on his own. He does a chance to do it all the time. And while the ball doesn't always go to him, it puts that in the back of the defense's mind as well. And then obviously he can catch the ball out of the backfield on swing routes, screen passes, that type of thing. Checks that box there. The decision-making, I talked about it, it's consistently making the right decisions. And it all happens so fast. You have to make a read based on the block in front of you, oftentimes a guard, and whether or not his leverage is pointed in a certain direction. And Drake seems to really understand that as well. The power and the grit. He has a couple of one-yard touchdown runs in his career. He's not the ideal sledgehammer in third and one, but he also offers you the versatility to throw the football in those situations rather than just being a guy that you know is going up the gut. But then again, I don't know if he's the best at that job because he's not a surefire conversion in those examples. So I think this is probably the one area of his game you might want to see him improve or just simply try to find someone else that can do a better job in that role. But I don't think he's useless in that area. And then going back to the speed and elusiveness, there's a play in the Buffalo game. The GIF is up on LockedOnDolphins.com. The Kenyon Drake is a five-course meal piece up live right now, LOD.com. And in that game, Kenyon Drake gets an outside run where Tredavious White, an all-first-team rookie, one of the best cornerbacks in the league last year for the Buffalo Bills, comes in and stops his feet heading towards the line of scrimmage, and he thinks he's going to have the angle or the corner shut off on Kenyon Drake, and Drake just explodes to the outside and destroys him to the corner, wins the corner, and has a huge gain on that play. So you can see all of those tactics, all of those things working out for him. He has springboards in his knees, the way he's able to jump cut in and out of moves, the way he keeps his shoulders square up to the line of scrimmage and consistently has himself moving forward and getting those extra yards that are so vital to turn second and eights into second and sixes and so forth. And this is a guy that I just see the the ceiling is so, so high for him. You go back over the first 27 games of his career, he had 293 offensive snaps. Over the last five, he gets 291. So nearly matches that number in just five games in, le- in more than one-fifth of the games that he had previously. He's 24 years old. There are two years of club control left on him. Barely any tread on the tires. Never went over 92 carries at Alabama. I just see this guy having a huge, huge future in his potential. And it's just another reason why I'm higher on this team than just about anyone else. This guy is special, absolutely special, so long as he stays healthy. And Miami has a dynamic backfield with Kenyon Drake and Ryan Tannehill moving forward. All right, guys, we have to get into the Twitter mailbag. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It's at NFL at Locked On Fins. Ramping up segment number two here on a Tuesday, a July podcast right in the middle of the dead period. But luckily, I have you guys to help me with content for the episode and for the podcast. And we're going to go ahead and get into that right now on the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill by now. I put out the call for questions on Twitter. You respond with your question. I'll shout out your Twitter handle on the podcast and answer your question. 
And the first one comes from Creepy Dude. It's at Spire CBS. I think I got that right. Who do you think will lead the team in touchdowns this year? Probably the toughest question right off the top here because I think it depends on what the makeup of this football team will be. And a lot of that also has to do with just circumstance. And if you get the ball to the one-yard line, it's going to be your running back most of the time. But for this team in particular, Kenny Stills, I feel like they are a really good team at scoring the football from 15, 20, 25 yards out and designing and designing plays that really find a way to open up Kenny Stills to make those big-time plays. He's been a big touchdown maker for the last two years for the Dolphins, and I'll just go ahead and predict that he continues that run. But Kenyon Drake can easily steal that. And I'll say that Mike Kosicki has an outside chance to have a big year as far as touchdown production goes. So he has a chance there. I don't think any other receiver than Kenny Stills will amass more touchdowns than the running backs or possibly tight ends. Next question comes from It's Our Roy at at Devin underscore Dolphin has two questions here. I like this first one a whole lot. In the UK, if you don't support your local team, you usually get shit, even if the local team is shit. This doesn't seem to be the case with the NFL teams in the USA. Why is this? I think that our national TV market as it has grown over the years and Sunday ticket in general, just allowing teams to or fans to be able to watch whatever team they want growing up really helps kids get into the game and find the teams they like. I know for me as a kid, I didn't have the Sunday ticket back then, but the Dolphins were always on Monday night and the Seahawks were garbage back then. I live in the Seattle area. So that's why the Dolphins became a team that I gravitated towards. And it was a curse because the Seahawks got really good. The Dolphins are what they are, but it is what it is. I just think that, you know, it's funny. Most of my friends live around me. We all love the Seattle Mariners and baseball, but for football, we're all different teams. I got a Steelers fan, a Giants fan, a Cowboys fan, a Packers fan. Everyone around here likes different football teams. So that's, I'm not really sure why it's the case. That's just how it is. Uh, The fantasy football question, not going to answer that. I don't know. I'm not a fantasy guy, so I'll just skip over that one. Next question from NoodleHand2 at Two Hand Noodles. It's a great name. What week do the Dolphins get to seven wins? I think the schedule really plays in the Dolphins' favor early on, so I think the Dolphins are going to have a better start than they do finish. And just looking at the early slate, I think they're going to win more games than they lose through the first eight or nine weeks of the season. Just trying to break the schedule up into chunks, I think the Dolphins' seventh win will come week 12 at the Indianapolis Colts, which would put them at 7-4 and four, heading into a two-game homestand with the Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots. So that'd be a good spot for the Dolphins to be, but as you guys know, I'm awfully bullish on this team this year, so we're going to go ahead with that. Next question comes from David Davies at JujuSimba7777. Which undrafted free agent makes the roster? And this is a really tough one here because the Dolphins are so deep for the first time in a long time. These guys are going to have a tough time just cracking the lineup, let alone making the roster. And I think the cornerback position could bear fruit. I know Jameis Pittman, the defensive tackle, has a good shot at getting in there. The linebacker group, there's two guys in there that are pretty nice looking with Case and Collins and Mike McRae. And then you go to running back. And I think that as much as we like Sonoris Perry on special teams, if somebody like uh, Buddy what's his name? Gregory Buddy Howell can get himself into position to overtake Perry. He could definitely do that just because Perry's not owed anything as a guaranteed salary. I think that they could look to make a change in that direction. Maybe try to get someone that offers more backup value as a running back opposed to just being a special teams guy. But I'll go ahead and go with Jameis Pittman, the defensive tackle that makes the team of the undrafted free agents. Next question comes from... Stephen J. Wilson. It's at Stephen J. Wilson 11. Without Sue in the middle of the D, do the Dolphins have enough talent at defensive tackle to stop or at least slow down their opponent's rushing attack? That's the big concern, man. I I think that 
when you look at this roster, that's really where you can point to the area of weakness in terms of defensive tackle. They have good players, but no one to really step forward and take on double teams and, and be a big force in the middle of that defense. It's been a problem for a long time now. These guys have to eat up blocks because of what the defense calls for in terms of using linebackers and defensive tackles against the run, whereas defensive ends don't really contribute in the running game, as we heard from Brett Coleman on yesterday's podcast. I think that it's going to be a struggle if the scoreboard dictates that it will be. And by that, I mean playing from behind. I think this team's not going to be suited to play very well on defense if they are behind. But if they are ahead, I think it won't be a problem. So just the scoreboard will dictate what happens there. Next question comes from our buddy Steve Hallett. It's at it's at one Steve Hallett. Quarterback aside, what's the one position group that the Dolphins can least afford an extended injury to a starter? I think it's a coin flip between offensive line and defensive line, but interested in your thoughts. I would agree with that. I think... Well, not the offensive line part. I actually feel pretty good about Sam Young or Ted Larson in a pinch. Now, you did say extended injury, so I understand that. But Sam Young did play pretty good at right tackle last year in extended time when Juwan James went down. Defensive line, I think inside, absolutely, because you have four guys that are all rotation-based. So losing one of them just digs into your rotation really deep, and it's going to elevate someone from the practice squad to probably come up and contribute on the game day roster. But I'll go ahead and go with running back because if Kenyon Drake gets hurt, and I know it's just the one guy, if Drake gets hurt, I don't love the idea of rolling with Frank Gore and Kalen Balazs as the one and two. Frank Gore's okay. You know what you're going to get with him, but you're not going to have anything in the backfield that scares teams, that threatens teams, especially as a speed guy, as a receiver that can really change the dynamic of every personnel grouping you have with the running back on the field. So I'll say a defensive line, interior, and running back, particularly Kenyon Drake there. Next question comes from hashtag Allen Gang Gang. It's at Pacific Fin Fan One. Big uh, friend of the podcast here. Who are Travis's six linebackers that make the 53-man roster? And I thought about this question before I got on the air and answered it here for you, uh, Mr. Allen Gang Gang, but... Obviously, Raekwon, Jerome Baker, Kiko Alonso are going to make the team. I'll stay with Stephon Anthony. I think the team likes what he offers as far as athleticism. I think Terrence Garvin was signed to be a sub-package guy and special teamer. So that leaves one spot if you're going with six between Chase Allen, Quentin Poling, Mike Hull, Mike McRae, and Cason Collins. I'm going to cross off Mike Hull and Chase Allen because I think that even though Allen contributed last year as a rookie, as a strong side linebacker and gives you value in that way. I think they're going a new direction in terms of finding guys that are more athletic and that would basically wipe out Hole and Allen out of the equation. I think Quentin Poling's a practice squad candidate in year one, despite your hashtag name there. So I do apologize for that. I'm going to go with one of the undrafted guys. I'm going to say it is either Mike McCray or Cason Collins that makes the roster as the sixth linebacker and developmental guy. And hopefully the other guy gets onto the practice squad as well and they can continue to develop that position there. So Deeper than most years, still not very sturdy at the top. Depends on Rayquan McMillan, but there's hope, there's uh, potential in that group, and I hope it improves from here. But that will go ahead and wrap up the Twitter mailbag. We have one more segment left in the podcast. Getting to know your host here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Lingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. Finishing out the actual off-season portion of the podcast here as tomorrow is the 200th episode and the quarterback position preview for training camp heading into 2018. We are almost there. And one of the things David Locke, the owner of the Locked On Sports Network, he is the play-by-play guy for the Utah Jazz. One of the things he wants us to do that always comes back on my report card, so to speak, is that I do everything well except for explain to the audience who I am and more about me. So if you guys want to turn the podcast off right now, it will not hurt my feelings. This is not going to be about the Miami Dolphins. It's going to be about me. So the podcast is going to be about the actual host for once on here. And 
I do a bad job of it on the podcast every day. So I'm going to go ahead and spell out some things about me real quick on the podcast. And I guess some unique facts about me. And one of the things that inspired this was the fact that the World Series of Poker is going on right now. And for whatever reason, I've really gotten into it this year. And I haven't really watched much of the World Series of Poker going back to like the Jamie Gold, Joe Hashem, uh, who was the other guy that won a bunch of lucky pot. I think it was Jamie Gold was the guy. But back when poker was really booming in the United States and on ESPN, I was really, really into it back in the late 2000, or like 2009, 2010, and going back before that, even to Chris Moneymaker and in my high school days. And I actually got really, really into poker back then and played so much that I was actually making my, my living, quote unquote. I say that as a college student when I attended community college, I was actually making the money that I used or that, that got me through school that time in online poker and that was back when it was legal obviously as that has changed a lot now but also getting into the live casinos as there was one in my hometown that you only had to be 18 to go into played a lot of those tournaments and eventually wound up parlaying all this playing into a dealer job so for about a year and a half of my life I was a poker dealer and poker player and I was young didn't have a lot of money but it was a lot of fun so that was a big time deal to me I'm really hoping this online experience can come back into the folks I love me some online poker and just watching these world series games really gets my itch going to play some more poker a couple of other interesting facts i decided to go ahead and throw in here that's not dolphins related i've never drinking coffee i've taken a couple of sips of things that people tell me to try i cringe up my face and tell them it's disgusting and give it back to them not a coffee guy also never eaten chick-fil-a i almost did one time on a work trip up to seattle i was staying right next to one and i got back from a mayor's game that i went to by myself was drinking whiskey and beer all night came back toasted wanted to go to chick-fil-a tried to open the door and they were closed it broke my drunken heart that night but never had it before i intend to break that streak here very soon there's just not one in my hometown here and going into my background is how I got into sports and how I became a writer and podcaster. Sports have always been my love and my release to life. As a kid, that was how it was. My parents got divorced when I was young. I went to sports to get through all that. My life has always revolved around sports one way or, the no one way or another. And once I was no longer to play, I geared all that competitive fire and passion into covering the game. And actually, baseball was my first love. I had just I was absolutely enamored with the 1990s Mariners with King Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez and Randy Johnson and Edgar Martinez and all those big time stud Hall of Fame names and I wanted to be a Seattle Mariner my entire life and I played baseball growing up and I was always at the top of my class so to speak I actually was a second team all-state second baseman my senior year of high school and because I was a little shit and didn't want to go to school anymore I didn't attend the all-star game for Washington State High School baseball that would have for sure got me a scholarship offer as I already had turned one down to Central Washington University to play second base for them because I didn't want to go to Ellensburg, Washington, if you guys have ever heard of that place. And I also didn't want to go to school anymore. So <laughs> I, uh, I kind of ruined my, my collegiate career there myself. But um, baseball is always my true love. Football really evolved from high school on, becoming a big fan of the game, reading about it as much as I could, watching all the shows, and just getting involved on message boards, learning the game itself, and, and developing a real knack for analysis and X's and O's. And I've been writing for different fan sites for years and years and years. There was one called Finsider, not that Finsider. There was one from Finheaven, thefins.com, up to Welcome to Perfectville with Sam and Chris over there, and now at Locked On Dolphins. So I've been doing this for a long, long time, sports. Sports are my everything besides my fiance, of course, and my close extended family. But uh, yeah, that's that's basically me in a nutshell. So if you guys have any more questions on Twitter about me, I'm sure you don't. I'm not very interesting. But if you do, go ahead and reach out to me and uh, let me know you're, you're interested. And we'll, we'll get talking about some things besides football 
as we close out the dead period here. But as for today's episode, that is going to do it for the podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review once you are there. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the Kenyon Drake piece up live right now. You guys have a terrific rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow with the quarterback preview for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. <laughs>